We've been looking for, oh, I guess since September at Grassroots, we've been looking at and pondering and thinking about love. Love is the heartbeat of the Christian faith. It is what um, inspires us and makes us tick. It's what we're after. It's the, the very thing which we need to open our hearts to in order to be healed and grow. Uh, to find God at all, we need to know love. Um, and if you've missed any of these uh, series of sermons, they're all online. You can go online, find them on the website. Uh, but I'll catch you up today. Don't feel like you're, you're out of the loop if you're just here for the first time. I'll, uh, I'll catch you up. So the starting point uh, in this series on baptism uh, and the formation of love is this, that um, God wants us to be people who love really well. That's, that's part of what we believe as Christians. And this is a starting point for this series. When we think about love at this point, we're, we're reminding ourselves that in God's heart, he wants us to be people who know how to give love to this world. And in fact, he's always at work shaping love in us. It's one of his main activities is to figure out how he can inspire us and shape us into people uh, who are selfless lovers. And so also, the second point of departure for this sermon series is that life can be full of trials. We know this experientially. We know that life can bring so many things that we would never ask for. Uh, we, can, we can go through some things in certain points of our life that are so hard and so terrible. And um, although we can try to ignore them, we can go through them and we can try to keep our heads down in the sand and pretend they don't exist. Or we can be so busy trying to solve these trials that we can um, sometimes forget how these two ideas connect with one another. And so as Christians, that's what, we're up, that's what we're about. As Christians, we oftentimes try to remember that God is shaping us into people who can love and that life is full of trials. And we put this together, but sometimes we can put this together in the wrong way. And if we do this, if we put these two ideas together in the wrong way, we can end up uh, being really kind of hurt because we can think, God, why would you do this to me? God, what, why in the world would you let things play out like this in my life? Why would you allow certain circumstances to happen that I would never ask for? And we get down to the most counterintuitive question sometimes and the most, most gut-wrenching question. God, how could you? God, how could you? That's a real question. And it's not an inappropriate question. It's a good question because God does some really strange things. He acts in very strange ways sometimes. And that's why some of the biblical writers say things like, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And we try to put this together and, and remember that his way is higher than ours. Now, if you, if you have lived long enough, you know that the world is full of counterintuitive things. And sometimes if we, we just trust our intuitions, we can end up in the wrong places. We've got to... Uh, understand that this world is full of counterintuitive things like if you want someone to be interested in you you got to appear uninterested in them anyone here play that game yeah you know what we're talking about second if you want space in your life if you actually want some space to breathe you got to create some structure you can't just go all spontaneous all, all the time because it just life just rushes at you and it comes, it comes at you too fast so if you want space in your life got to create structure or how about this one we equate vulnerability with being strong. We're also afraid of being vulnerable, but when someone is really, truly vulnerable, we admire them. 
We admire them for their strength. Or the most important time for exercise is when you don't have time. Anyone can I get a testimony out there? Life is full of counterintuitive things, but God acts with a, with a counterintuitive uh, brain that just sometimes goes way beyond ours. And so when you put this idea together, oh, here's the last one. The more you try and control someone, the more they slip away, right? It's counterintuitive. You think, I got to control someone, but the more they slip away than you do. Um, so here's how we put this together. God wants us to be people who love really well. Life can be full of trials, and the key to understanding his motive and his work and how he goes about shaping us into lovers, selfless lovers, is baptism. And um, we've been looking at the story of John the Baptist for a few weeks to get, get, to, these ideas, to, get to these ideas. So today is the final installment of the baptism uh, series of sermons. And we've been jumping in with John the Baptist, so we're going to just jump right head in. Uh, back with John the Baptist today. If you remember that we're introduced to John at the beginning of the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels of Jesus, of his life and death and resurrection. Uh, Luke is one of the four Gospels, and he gives us this in, in Luke chapter 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, and then there's a bunch of other stuff in there that you can read on your own. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so as Christians, we mark out the beginning of Jesus' ministry. When we think about when he started acting in this world and, and, um, and, and showing who he was, John the Baptist, and, and this part of the story is where it all begins. Uh, and oftentimes we think of baptism. If we know baptism, we think about it as uh, something you do to join a church. You, you understand in your heart that Jesus is Lord. You give your life to him. And the next thing you do is you get baptized under water, whether it's at a Trowbridge Falls like we do or in the trough here. You see baptism, and we think of baptism as something that, uh, that we do to, to join the Christian faith. Uh, that's true. That is what we do. But if you read the New Testament closely, if you really look for the word baptism, as you read through the Holy Testament, you see that baptism is like a complex set of metaphors that points to something uh, more. It tells us that baptism is more than the first dunking underwater, that baptism is actually a lifelong washing, a lifelong, um, a lifelong set of experiences that God leaves us, leads us through to shape us into the image of Jesus. Uh, it's so much more than the initial dunking. So that was his ministry. That was John's ministry. We've been looking at this, that he was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He wasn't a therapist, even though therapy is really good and you should do it. He wasn't a therapist. He was doing something that was much deeper than therapy can ever get to. Um, reaching the DNA level of sin and the problems that we have as humans. Uh, a forgiveness that rests so deep in our hearts that all of a sudden it feels more like we're waking up to reality and being freed from things that have captured us. So John comes out and preaches this forgiveness of sins. You'd go to John, you'd, you'd confess, you'd repent, you'd show the remorse that you have in your heart for the ways that you've hurt the world and hurt others, and he would dunk you under the water 
and bring you back up. And, um, and as he was doing that, as he was doing that ministry, he wasn't always so kind. Uh, we looked at this last week. This is something that he said as he was doing this. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Make fruits in keeping with repentance. And John teaches us a few things in this. First, we're a lot worse off than we sometimes give ourselves credit for. We can think of ourselves less like children of God sometimes and more like a brood of vipers, children of snakes. So the problem is much worse than we can give it credit for sometimes. But also that God very much cares how we act in this world. God cares how we act and what we do with our life. So this, was, this is John's ministry. And uh, the question that we're asking in all of this is what does it feel like when God goes about forgiving our sins, and washing us at the deepest levels of our personhood. So, um, baptism is a washing that sometimes feels like a drowning. And it's not that God is like a waterboarding us or something, you know, like God's not like, I'm going to kill you if you don't stop this. No, don't, that's not what we're saying. We're saying that sin is like an alien, infectious creature that has worked its way so totally through our, ourselves that God holds the sin under the water as long as he can uh, and kills it under the waters of baptism. That's the imagery. Um, and when we start seeing baptism in this way, um, when we work with God, when we see baptism in this way, and this is the way that Jesus saw it, and this is the way that Paul saw it, um, we end up giving ourselves over to God in a way during our trials that shapes us and really grows us into maturity. And the suffering that we go through brings a poise to us and a resilience to us and a maturity to us um, that, we, that we didn't have before. Now, I don't know about you, but um, there are times in my life where I really wish I had more maturity. Other times in your life where you feel like, I just wish I was more mature. Like, uh, this is a silly example. I mean, uh, these trials that we go to are no, not, nothing silly to be joked about. But uh, to get at this, there's this silly example of when I was not so mature recently. So I was coming out, pulling out of grassroots church. I was in my expedition, rolling along. And, uh, you know, coming from here to home has become a little bit like a routine like you know how you can like sometimes know that you've got to go to the store before you go home but you just end up at home like how'd I get here it's just so routine so coming out of here is routine I do my little half donut in the parking lot I just admitted that um I come out to to Balmoral Street and there's cars coming and I'm like okay it's not so close so yeah but it was probably pretty close the one who's driving coming down down, uh, from north to south was pretty close so I pulled out and I thought I had plenty of space right but uh, I guess it was less. Because as I pulled out, I saw the car coming towards me, a like, uh, I, I would guess it was a woman, maybe in her late 70s or early 80s. And I came out, and she saw me, and she did not like how close I came to her. She did not like how, how close I called it. And so she got her finger out and started waving at me like, guys, it took me like hours to get over that. And I just gave her that, no. Um, <laughs> But I tell you, I was not happy with this woman. I was like, how could you? You know? Anyway, it's a silly example. But there are times in your life where we know that we respond with anything less than maturity and poise. Um, and so that's the point of this all. In, in the serious moments of our life, 
when we're in the struggles and the trials, and I've been mentioning this, but if you're new, just so you get a little roadmap here, we're heading into a sermon series on parenting and being parented in the coming weeks. Um, and uh, after Easter, heading into a series on marriages and intimate relationships and how love works out in those settings. And those are the spaces that God uses, especially when we're the most immature, the trials that make us immature in these relationships. He uses these profoundly for us to be shaped. And so as we get into those sermons, it's going to be really practical. There's going to be lots of practical advice. But these, uh, the, these, three, series of, or these three sermons and this uh, final sermon is a little less than practical. I'm not trying to give us great practical advice. But just to open our eyes, to recognize that if we can catch God's fingerprint at work in these trials, we can learn to help use them to grow us into maturity and to love. And so um, John preaches to these people. He's trying to get these ideas through their head. Uh, and people started wondering, is John the Messiah? Is he the one that we've been waiting for? His ways are so strange and symbolic. And he's preaching forgiveness of sins at the Jordan River, which may, means as a Jewish person, you're expecting something historic to happen there. He's doing something historic. We're not sure what it is. And so he, people are wondering, is this the Messiah? Is this the promised one of God? And John says to them, I baptize you with water, but the one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. He says, John says, I, I'm, I'm, I'm washing you in a symbolic way. And when you, when you come out to the Jordan River and you confess your sins, you're going to feel like clean and new and washed. But when you go back and get dirty again, you're going to have to repeat this process over and over and over. Someone has a ministry coming that's going to change all that. He's going to baptize you, not just with water, but yes, with water, as, as the early Christians did, but it's a symbol for the Holy Spirit coming upon you, the very Spirit of God beginning to work in you and with fire. What does that mean? Baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Baptize you with fire. What could being baptized with fire mean other than trial? We will, we're we're going to go through some fire in order to be changed at the very deep levels of our personhood. I read one author who put it like this, the greatest power of change. If we want to be people who really change, really grow up, really find poise in our life, the greatest power to do that is through trial. I don't know if you know that or experienced that or have paid attention to the trials in your life. Um, most of the trials that we go through aren't huge and dramatic. They're just day-to-day -day trials that maybe no one else in the world knows about. No one knows about what you're going through. You've kept it to yourself. It's something that day in and day out you bear with, a cross that you bear with. And uh, you think about the many trials, the many kinds of trials that come into our life. Some of them have nothing to do with us. You, you see on, on the TV all of these traumatic and awful things happening. You cannot get close to touching them. And they are like a trial to you because they teach you how small and finite you are. And what the trial does over and over again, if, I mean, you can expose yourself too much to all the, the big stuff happening, but if you pay attention out there, the trial of all of that is to come face to face with how little power we have to change the world. And what it does 
if we give ourselves to that kind of shaping, it allows us to learn to cling with, to the Father. Father, you are the one who has this whole world in your hands. We give it over to you. And yet, this kind of trial, if we open ourselves up to the horrors of the world, it should teach us that maybe we can do something. Let's find a way to do something about this. And you can see how the trials of a world that we cannot touch change us and shape us for the better. Or relational trials, relational trials. Two sets of broken people learning to live in close quarters, clashing together, bringing out the worst in one another. What, kind of, what, what does that do to you? How does that shape and grow you? Well, first of all, you have to open your eyes to the fact that you're broken, that you're bringing something to the table as well. It forces you to become self-aware, but at the same time, it, it helps you to be resilient. I, can, I cannot change myself at the DNA level of my personhood, but God can. I cannot change someone else at all. <laughs> I've got to give this over to God. And you see how this is like a fire, a baptism by fire. Or I could go on here, like the situations that you encounter in the world. You, some of you have gone through unbelievable situations in your life. You tell me your story, I'm like, I don't believe it. I mean, I believe you, I trust you. I just don't believe that that could happen to an individual. And this world can be so broken and we can um, find our way into to, to the brokenness. I love this, this po poet, Robert Burns. You might, does anyone know Robert Burns? He's a Scottish poet. He wrote the poem, Old, Old Lang Syne. We sing it on New Year's. He's got this uh, poem to a mouse. It's a great poem. And the point is this. The mouse sees the, the winter field already uh, harvested, thinks this is a great place to go, protect myself from the, the elements of the world. So he makes a burrow underneath the soil of a field and along comes a plow at the end of the season and plows up its home. So the mouse runs in and creates the home on the inside and now this guy is seeing this mouse and he's singing ode to him. But the, the deeper point to it all is, do you know this line? The best laid plans of mice and men. You know that line? That's where that comes from go often astray. Um, and so uh, the situations, we can, we can try our best. We can give our heart to something and still we can waste it. And we don't have enough sometimes strength or skill. And when that happens, that's a trial. Um, but we can grow by these trials. God can work in them. They can grow. He can grow strength in us. He can grow um, flexibility. And he can do all sorts of things if we let him. Um, and so going through trials as Christians is less about trying to weather the storms that we're in, to change the metaphor. Less about just battening down the hatches and more learning to ask the question, how is God using this to grow me up in love? And when we turn that key into that door, something opens up that changes us. Um, John, uh, James, the brother of Jesus, writes it this way. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, so that, what? So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. This idea is all over the New Testament. If you give yourself to it, if you open your eyes to it, this idea of the early Christians going, we struggled in life, but then we watched Jesus struggle, give him his life to the trials. He was actually killed because of it, but guess what? He got 
he got raised from the dead. This gave new understanding and imagination for the early Christians. And they began to see the trials of their life, like the ones we go through, as joy because they're making us mature and complete. Uh, an example of, of this is happening. Um, you can see here, this is a, a cool old painting. Here's the Apostle Paul uh, and, and Barnabas over here. Here's a priest of the, of the uh, cult of Zeus. The Apostle Paul was living, uh, doing ministry about 30 years after Jesus. He would go out and uh, preach Jesus in, th- in the towns. He came to this place called Lystra and he saw a blind man there. And he saw that the blind man had faith to be healed. And so he healed him. And the blind man started jumping up and proclaiming he could see. And all the people of this, this pagan town thought that Zeus and Hermes, Zeus's uh, mouthpiece, I don't know if you know your ancient Greek history, came to, came to town. And so they bring out a bull to sacrifice. And Paul says, what are you doing? I'm just a human being. I'm not a god. But I will point you to the living God. And they thought, this is great. These are great people. And then some people came who, uh, who were uh, opponents of Paul and came and told them all that actually Paul was just a mere mortal. And something about that just triggered the crowd. The crowd turned from praising um, to uh, hostility. And they took Paul outside the gates and they took a bunch of stones and they threw stones at Paul in order to kill him. And he was just about dead when his followers surrounded him and carried him off. And what did Paul do the next day? He went back home and stopped following God. No, sorry, that's not the right answer. <laughs> Paul went on to start more churches the, ne- the very next day or when he was healed. And, at, and, and this was his message to them. I forget if I put this up here. I think I have. This was his message right after he was stoned. We must enter the kingdom of God through many sufferings. is the basic heartbeat truth of the Christian faith. Jesus did it, and we follow after. And so what happens when um, John the Baptist had proclaimed all these things to the people, uh, Jesus comes along. Jesus comes into the story for the first time uh, as an adult in the Gospels. It says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son. With you I am well pleased. And we, we see for the first time in all of this episode of John the Baptist preaching and baptizing that this has all been about the Father's heavenly love. You're my son whom I love. You remember in the book of John, Jesus said, my father loves me because I lay my life down for my friends. I'll go all the way in sacrifice and all the way in trial for my friends. This is why God loves me. Because Jesus had a perfected, selfless love in his heart. And it turned into an amazing action which ends up saving the whole world. And that's our, that's our formula. That's, the, our follow, oh, that's our leader who we follow. Uh, so how do we do this? We get into sort of the questions of, okay, you're t- saying, Pastor Keith, that God is shaping me through trials. That God's love is coming upon me. Things are worse than I could ever imagine, than I'd ever admit. 
And yet God is getting down to that very level in baptism, which is the trials that he leads me through. What, what can I do about this? Because a lot of this really is passive, isn't it? It's God coming upon us, leading us through a lifelong series of situations that he knows how to use in order to shape us into love. So what do we do? Do we have any, any part in this? And here's what it is. The first is repentance. Remember, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And that's the active part. We can't access the power of baptism if we are walking around as self-righteous people who think so much of ourselves. If we need to be honest about the ways we are compromised towards darkness. We must, like us, muster one ounce or more of remorse to enter into all this. And we need to return to the right script. Now here's what I mean by this. Uh, we cannot come to God simply sorry. I'm sorry that I did something to hurt someone. As if the whole time, this whole thing is about us just going, God, I'm sorry, and God going, I forgive you, just don't, don't do that again. And that's all he's concerned about. Look, we have to come with actual remorse. That's what the Greek word really means. Like actual deep sorrow for the ways we've been compromised. Someone talks about, you know, if you get to, if you get to the Greek, the word is metanoia, which, which is like a, there's this little meta on the front of the word, but noia is mind. And so sometimes you hear like, this is just a change of mind. Like, oh, I've been living my life a certain way and it's not gone so well. So I'm just going to change my mind and enter into life with God. It's, that's, like meta is a word that, like, have, have you ever experienced this experience that was meta? I've gone meta. Young people say that these days. Don't you? <laughs> this is like beyond our, something that's beyond our ability to comprehend. Metanoia means that you can't just change your mind, but you are filled with remorse. Looking back, that there's uh, your remorse. We have to come to God on a daily basis, says one writer, filled with poverty. We're not going to grow into people who are mature and poised and resilient if we come thinking we've got our stuff together. We've got to come to God in repentance. And I say this like mustering one ounce or more. <laughs> That's all it takes is a little bit of remorse for God to say, I can work with that. Uh, but oftentimes we don't like to be remorseful. We don't like to admit that we're weak. We don't like to admit that we've done wrong. But you know if you're in any relationship that's broken, you've got to come with this kind of uh, remorse. Or someone's going to just eventually put all their walls up and say, I cannot trust you anymore. So we come to God with remorse, and we return to the right script. This is the thing about sin. Sometimes people think, what is sin? Oh, it makes me something like a, a stain and something that's dirty. As Christians, sin is basically acting out of the old script, the old script that leads everything to death, that leads society to death, that leads relationships to death, that leads us to our very death. And we act in certain ways in, our, in the old creation, in the old script, but we turn away from that in remorse and we choose to act in the right script. And when as Christians, again, we, we think about this as uh, in terms of uh, uh, sin as something that's bigger than what we do, but there's a power over us. And Paul says when we are in the old creation, when we were, before we were baptized, before we gave ourselves over to God, it was like I did all sorts of things I didn't want to do and I do all sorts of things I don't want to do. And, and what a wretched human being Am I, says Paul. But he says, in Christ, 
we go through the baptism of Christ. This is chapter five and six of Romans. We go through the baptism of Christ and now we're free. We're no longer uh, given over to a landlord who, who demands us to do bad and evil things. But now we're free to live in the house of God and to live by his script and his ways. And we're free to, now we can go back into the old house that we used to live in if our, in our free will. But what's different now in Christ is that we're not bound there anymore. We are free to enter out of sin and live by the right script. And that's what God wants from us. He wants us to be people who can live by his ways. So this is, this is the first active thing we have to do. We have to cultivate a remorseful attitude uh, and, reg- and regularly uh, enter into God's space. But secondly, how else can we be active in this process? Because again, a lot of it is passive. A lot of it is us just waiting for God to bring the trial. And some people, some people are, are active trying to like force themselves and ship themselves into people who can love and they do all sorts of things. Like, I gotta give myself a trial. No, life is full of trial. There's plenty of it to go around. There's lots of, uh, it's like a passive experience. But um, there is, we, we bring remorse and then we can uh, show gratitude and journal. Now, I'm going to talk about this more as, as time comes, but let me just finish today by uh, inviting you to think about this. If God is taking you through trial, if baptism is your si- series of situations, and if we need to learn to find his hand in it, there's no way we're going to do so if there's not a record of it. I don't know, if some of you may be unique and powerful and strong like this, but I forget things easily. I do things one week and the next week I'm onto something else. And... Um, I live my life sometimes in this series of forgetfulness. What is God doing? And then I can get so angry because things have seemed like such a trial. What's the point, God? We've got to have a record. We have a record of the trial for us to look at and go, wow, what are you doing here? So we journal through the trials. Um, if you remember, we talked about forgiveness a little while ago. Uh, but this is a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And we need to be in an active posture of forgiving others for what they've done to us. And so there's oftentimes these trials bring us face to face with how we have our inability to forgive others. Kids are so beautiful, aren't they? I mean, part of the forgiveness of sins is like God is saying, I'm going to wash you and I'm going to reset your brain and your heart. You're not going to live with the kind of guilt and remorse that you seem to be bound to I'm going to free you of that. I'm going to, that's the forgiveness. But then we walk around holding grudges over other people and we have failed to give the same forgiveness that we've, been received, that we've received to others. So uh, we have sometimes to simply start by journaling through that which we cannot forgive. We give words to, so-and-so has done this, they act like this, and I cannot forgive them. There's a power in admitting that. That's a remorseful kind of statement. And we need the journaling to do that. Um, and then journal through the situations you are drowning in. If you end up as a Christian ever going, I feel like I'm drowning in this relationship, in this situation. I just feel like I can't breathe. 99%, I guarantee you, God is shaping your love. He's finding a way to shape a love deep inside of you. you gotta, it's really hard to, um, to get at this unless you've made a record of it. So... Um, here are some final things today that I'm, I'm inviting you to think about as you join God in this work of baptism. Learn to recognize God hand, God's hand in the trials. Express your remorse to God and others. Make a record and discover God's hand. 
abandon yourself to God in gratitude. Like those are kind of big ideas. But if you want to maximize your trials, if you want to join God in shaping you into someone who's mature and resilient, these are the kind of things that you can do on an active basis through them. I, I sometimes, it, when I'm in the middle of trial, I wake up in the morning and I go, okay, I'm drowning in something. I'm not sure what it is, but I'm drowning in something. So my prayer to start the day is something like this. It's a little phrase. Thank you, God, for this new day. I don't mean it, <laughs> but I say it. Thank you, God, for this new day in which you call me. Okay, I'm recognizing that God's got a call in my life. It's not over yet. He's got me here for something. In which you call me to be an epiphany, an awakening, a bright light in the world of your care and concern. Okay, those are the ideas. God, thank you for this new day in which you call me to be an epiphany of your care and concern. That's gratitude in action. If you can have practices, if you can develop those kinds of things in your life in the midst of these trials, something shifts and you give yourself over to God's purifying hand. Um, and then when you just feel like you can't go anymore, sometimes you take a, come up out of the waters of baptism and take a gasp. But you remind yourself that underneath these waters is my very freedom and my chance to become someone who's mature and poised and can, can contribute to saving the world like Jesus did. And that's, that's what I'm trying to help to get us see in these series, that this is what God is up to. This is where we can expect him. This is what it feels like. And if, uh, if we don't understand his heart, uh, he's not out to destroy us. God is not out to destroy us. He's out to shape us and to purify us. And we're going to get to points one through four when it comes to parenting. <laughs> because sometimes we can think, God, you're out to destroy me here. Or, God, I went through being parented by someone and that about destroyed me. And so we'll get into that. Some practical thoughts on parenting and being parented. Um, but we'll also do that in the coming months on, uh, in our intimate relationships and marriages too, because this is what's happening. It's what God is up to, and he's not out to destroy us, but he's out to free us and to shape us and to grow us. So friends, over this course of this series, I'm not sure what God has said to you or how he's spoken to you, but I guarantee he has. I guarantee he's stirring something in you in all this. Maybe it's just a simple awareness that he loves you and he's with you, or maybe you're going through something that's terrible and you would never ask it for yourselves. And for the first time, you can kind of get a glimpse that God may be in that somewhere working for your good. Whatever it is, it's, I don't know, you know. But I, I, I invite you to, to hold on to it, to treasure in your heart what God has given to you and let that grow. And as we do so, every week we remember that this trial, this life full of trials, is the hardest thing in all of the universe. And so we have to remember that God is with us and that we have someone who's leading the way that's walked this path before us. We don't have a savior. We don't have a king who, who doesn't understand the trials. He knows them all. And so he tells us that when we get together to remember this, that we break bread as a symbol that his body was broken. And we drink a cup of juice to remember that his blood was shed. 
And as we do so, as we dip the elements in the juice and eat them, they become part of the very fiber of our being. And we ask God to be with us at that very deep level. And so whatever it is, friends, we have a couple more songs here for you to respond to God. I invite you forward with whatever prayers or, or questions or, or hopes you have. God is here. He's in this space waiting and ready to talk with you and to work in your heart. So the table is set and everyone here is welcome.